Welcome to FedSpeak, brought to you by MI Market News. I'm Pedro DaCosta, and it's my pleasure to welcome St. Louis Fed President James Bullard to the podcast. President Bullard is a voting member of the Federal Open Market Committee this year, and he's one of the longest serving regional Fed presidents, having stepped into the role in April of 2008. That's quite a while ago. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jim. It feels like just yesterday, Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> you joined at an interesting time, and times have remained interesting. So I, I didn't think we'd be co covering an inflation scare back then, right? Um, but, right? But here we are. Why don't we start with the most recent news, which is the July jobs report released last week. I was wondering whether the unexpectedly large increase of 528,000 jobs make you worry that the Fed may be even further behind the curve than previously thought? Well, it was an impressive jobs report, uh, which surprised markets to the upside. Um, and probably all observers of the US economy, I think the, uh, the number that came in was higher than even the highest of the estimates. So um, very much a surprise, unemployment ticked down. Uh, instead of ticking up. And so it was a, a further reminder that this is a very tight jobs market and it's a great time for workers to get out there and find a good match uh, for them, uh, for their skills and for their um, situation. And uh, so I think it's encouraging from the point of view of uh, workers, uh, from the point of view of firms, they're having to pay a lot more in their labor costs. Um, employment cost index is up 8% uh, plus uh, over the last year. Um, and I really hear a lot about that when I talk to uh, business owners around the district and around the country. And so, uh, you know, they're looking at either having to increase uh, productivity or try to increase prices. And I, I think a lot of them think anyway, as of now, that they have a fair amount of pricing power. And that's probably putting upward pressure on our uh, inflation measures. So uh, all in all, I think it was a um, robust report that was a reminder of what we've been saying, which is that labor markets are, are, are very tight. Given that and given the recent inflation picture that we've had, I know you guys have moved away from offering forward guidance, but maybe looking as as far into the future as we possibly can, which is the next meeting, I'm wondering under current conditions, what size of a, an interest rate hike you would support for September? Yeah, I think uh, there's quite a bit of data to still come in. We've got uh, two CPI reports and, uh, and another jobs report before the September meeting. So I don't think we have to commit at this point. Um, I have liked front loading of uh, rate hikes, and I continue to think that we'll have to get to 3.75 to 4% by the end of this year, um, whether we want to do that. Uh, more, if, uh, you know, in, in the September meeting and less in later meetings or, or uh, spread it out evenly is uh, sort of a tactical decision. I think, though, that the destination is a little bit higher than what I would have thought even a couple months ago because inflation has continued to broaden out and uh, 
doesn't look like it's turning the corner, at least based on the evidence we have today. And by destination, I assume you mean the terminal rate. And if so, what do you see that, where do you see rates peaking at this point? Well, I was, I've been hoping that we could uh, get to 3.75 to 4% this year and then sort of uh, see what was happening uh, during the winter and in the first quarter of next year and sort of make a judgment at that point about whether uh, more rate increases were needed. Um, If we do get inflation slowing down, then we may be able to hold the rate at higher for for that time at that higher rate for that point, uh, period of time, uh, but you never know in this business exactly uh, exactly how things are going to proceed, and so we want to be careful about not not promising too much in any one direction. What do you make of market speculation, which did arise following the jobs number, about the possibility of an intermeeting rate increase? Uh, during this intermeeting period? Well, actually, this intermeeting period was, was raised, actually, as a possibility, especially because it happens to be the meeting, you know, the longest period in between meetings of the year, just because of the way the calendar works out. Yeah, I, I think um, it's true that there uh, is a sort of long period of, uh, I guess it's eight weeks between meetings in this particular uh Round here, but there's also Jackson Hole uh, during this uh, time period, and the chair can use that if uh, if he thinks it's appropriate to uh, to signal changes in monetary policy. So, we'll, I th- I think we have tools at our disposal. Great, thank you for that. And let's move to the inflation picture now, since uh, inflation is front and center for the Fed at this point. How would you describe the inflation picture broadly? And do you think inflation has peaked or is it too early to to make that claim? I think it's too early to make the claim. It's true commodity prices have come off their highs. Uh, Oil in particular, um, gasoline prices are down. And so because of that, uh, we may see some relief in the headline uh, CPI number tomorrow. But um, the reason we tend to track core PC inflation is exactly because uh, we ignore the energy price movements on the way up, but also on the way down and try to get a sense of the middle of the price change distribution and what's happening there to get a sense of underlying inflation trends. And I I would say, uh, based on the Dallas Fed trim mean, which has now moved up to 4.3% from one year ago, uh, that's a measure of the center of the price change distribution. It throws out the lowest um, uh, goods and services prices, the ones that have uh, uh, fallen uh, or fallen the most or increased the least, and also throws out the ones that have increased the most. So you're just looking at sort of the middle of the distribution there. That's um, basically gone up uh straight up, I would say, since uh, fourth quarter of last year. And I think it's going to be much harder to get that to turn around. And that's the kind of thing that we need uh, to see is uh, we need to put downward pressure so that uh, a measure like that is turning around in a convincing way and moving lower toward our target of uh, 2%. Um, you know, the energy price movements are also interesting, but uh, obviously you've got 
geopolitical uncertainty, which can uh, move those one direction or another uh, very quickly, as, as you know. So in that context, where do you see CPI and or PCE, whatever measure you prefer to, to pick at this moment, where do you think they will end the year? Well, in my last uh, summary of economic projection submission, we had core PC inflation of 4.3% at the end of this year. Um, I think something like the Dallas Fed trim mean, uh, you know, you'd like to see that stabilize or come lower uh, by the time we get to the end of this year. I don't know if we're going to get that or not. Uh, so that's a piece of data we'll be watching uh, very closely. And um, uh, you know, also I would say that it's, uh, I would like to see improvements across a range of indicators of inflation, uh, not just one measure uh, ticking down a little bit, but I think a clear and convincing evidence across the range of indicators. And what would you consider clear and compelling or clear and convincing, to, to use your words, evidence on, on any particular metric? Is it a certain... Uh, a certain decline in the monthly gain in, in core core PCE or CPI. What are you looking at to uh, for your benchmark to to slow down the the pace of of hikes? Yeah, I don't think you can rely on the month to month measures. There's too much noise in those. Um, I think you have to smooth it out a little bit by looking at the year over year uh, measures. Um, a lot of the rhetoric about this issue has been that. Um, some of the high inflation reads from uh, last year were going to fall out of the data, and therefore we were going to get lower year-over-year numbers. Uh, that didn't really happen uh, the way people envisioned it. And, and so I think, um, you know, you'd like to see these year-over-year measures coming down in, a, in, you know, many months in a row and uh, maybe supported by anecdotal evidence that was clear evidence that, uh, that firms felt pricing power was uh, being reduced. Uh, I'd especially like to see firms worried that they were, you know, if they increase prices, they're gonna lose market share perhaps permanently uh, or even ruin their business by trying to increase the prices too far. Um, so I think if you get that kind of dynamic going, uh, that's a disinflationary dynamic like we saw in the 1980s. And uh, I think that's the process through which we can get um, uh, back to 2% in a relatively short period of time, like 18 months. You know, the market has been very focused on on a dovish pivot. Uh, every trader out there is trying to catch that, you know, that inflection point. And I wonder if there's a possibility that it could go the other way. Like, let's say if tomorrow's CPI and the next couple of reports that we get are worse, is there a possibility that the Fed might need to speed up the pace of hikes? And, and would you rule out a full percentage point at, in September at, at another meeting? Uh, yeah, I think that the, my interpretation of where markets are right now is that there's heavy betting on some kind of peak inflation and some kind of downward movement and in inflation. If you look at the track record over the last year, that has been a bad bet. Uh, and it's certainly possible we could get surprised, continue to get surprised to the upside here. And um, uh, if that's the case, we'll have to be higher for longer. 
and the markets all have to price that in. So um, I do think it's kind of disconcerting to not see sort of equal amounts of, of uh, betting on either side of that. Um, instead, we're seeing overwhelmingly that that uh, markets are thinking inflation is going to come down in relatively short order. Now, I, I would also say that uh, you could take that as a good sign from the Fed's point of view. Um, the uh, We've been very aggressive here during the second quarter. We started to uh, shrink our balance sheet. Uh, we started to raise the policy rate. Now we've raised the policy rate 75 basis points at two consecutive meetings. That hasn't happened since the Volcker era. There's more to come on rate increases, which we've uh, communicated through uh, our, our uh, communications processes. So uh, that's a lot to do in, in 90 to 120 days, and there's more to come. And I think markets have moved down their inflation expectations in response to that. But still, the data doesn't always cooperate in this business. And it's very possible we may have to do more. Now, do you take comfort in the decline in market-based inflation expectations? Does it make you more sanguine about how high rates might eventually need to go? Or is it a question of having to deliver on the rate hikes in order for those expectations to actually be met? Uh, I do think we have to deliver uh, on the the uh, sort of implicitly promised uh, rate hikes uh, for the remainder of this year, for sure. And uh, if we don't, then I, I think uh, some of the pricing would come out of the market that is, that is in there today. Um, so there is some follow through aspect to this. Ideally, it, it would be much better if we just had the policy rate where we think it should be for this environment. And then from there, you, you couldn't be sure whether we'd go up or down from there, depending on how the data come in. So it'd be nice to get to that level. And um, hopefully by the end of this year, we'll be at something much closer to that kind of a situation where it's, it's not just a one-sided bet that we're for sure going to go in one direction or the other, but it would depend more on uh, in, incoming data and tracking the, uh, tracking the economy. Um, so, uh, you know, do I take comfort that, uh, that you know, market uh, expectations of inflation have come down? I do think that that's a positive sign. It's certainly consistent with the idea that I've had that uh, we should front run or front load the, uh, the rate increases, uh, get them in place early, and then uh, keep inflation expectations under control, and then actual inflation will follow uh, behind that. Um, but how much is enough is, of course, always a judgment call that, uh, that we have to make. Sure. Now, as you know, markets are also pricing in the prospect of rate cuts next year. Is that premature in your view? Yeah, I, I think it is premature. I think the, uh, that markets have priced in uh, you know, heavy betting on the idea that there's going to be a recession. So let me talk about that a little bit. I think um, there are three aspects to this uh, recession debate. Uh, the first aspect is, are we in recession right now as we're sitting here? Uh, another aspect is, would the US be in a recession a year from now? And a third aspect is the global, uh, a global recession. Of those three, I think the best story is probably the global recession story. So let me just walk through them. 
on the on the idea that we're in a recession right now, um, the jobs data is, uh, I would say, wildly at, at variance with the idea that we're in recession. You don't have a recession when uh, firms are adding 2.7 million jobs in the first half of the year and another half million in July here. Uh, that's just not consistent with uh, conventional definitions of a recession. Unemployment has been falling, not rising, and, and went to the pre-pandemic low of 3.5%. So these are just not recession numbers as far as the labor market is concerned. And that gets the heaviest weight in defining a recession. So what's going on with um, output measures? Uh, I think it's a good question why output growth has been negative uh, in the first half of this year. It looks to me like there'd probably be some revisions down the road. Um, you've also got the gross domestic income, which is supposed to be measuring the same thing as gross domestic product. That has been growing, not declining in the first half of the year up to the measures that we have. So, um, so there are just lots of reasons to think that this won't be called a recession as far as right now. Now, you could say, well, there's going to be a recession a year from now, and that's fine. Uh, that's based on models. Uh, a lot of those models are based on interest rate movements or interest rate spreads uh, as a key variable. Um, I would just caution everybody that these models don't have a great track record of forecasting recessions ahead of time. Uh, uh, and so there's, there's certainly, it's fine to think about it, but, uh, but, you know, I wouldn't bet the farm on the, uh, on that idea. Uh, you do have the yield curve inversion, but I've argued elsewhere that that's a nominal inversion at this point. I think markets think that inflation will be high in a, a year from now and, and maybe a little bit for two years from now, but further out, they think inflation will be low. So short-term uh, rates have to have an inflation premium in them, and longer-term rates don't have a very large inflation premium in them. And through that channel, I think you can get the kind of inversion that we're looking at today. So I think uh, the inversion story has been a good one, but it's better for an environment where inflation is around 2% and expected to be at 2%. If you get an inversion there, then I think you could say that markets are truly expecting uh, less growth in the future. I'm not sure that's what we're seeing with this particular yield curve inversion. And then, the, not to go on too long here, but the, uh, but the uh, global story, which I think is probably the better story, but one that gets less emphasized when this is discussed, is that Europe uh, may go into recession here uh, in part because of the war and uh, that China has uh, uneven uh, COVID policy that, uh, that that could lead to shutdowns at any point in time. And between those two, they might um, drag the U.S. into, into recession. And that's uh, a distinct possibility. You have a lot of firms that earn a lot of their profits overseas. And so uh, it does hurt their business uh, when other parts of the world aren't doing so well, emerging markets as well, uh, not doing as well as the U.S. So I think... Um, uh, if you want to tell the recession story, it should probably be the global one uh, and less U.S. specific than what we've been uh, talking about in the last couple of weeks in the U.S. And speaking of the global outlook, I wonder how you're looking at the ongoing ge geopolitical risks, not only the war in Ukraine, which shows no sign of abating, but now increased tensions 
uh, between China and Taiwan? What kind of risks do those tensions pose and how are they likely to affect the U.S. economy? Yeah, I think that Taiwan issue is going to be with us and more important for uh, several, several years now into the future. It's very clear that at least a faction in China uh, sees this as a, a relatively near-term policy goal uh, to reunify uh, with the uh, former nationalists on, uh, on Taiwan. And uh, that's not consistent with uh, how the West has looked at this. So um, this has been a tough issue for a very long time, but I think it's going to get even even tougher in the in the years ahead here. So um, this is an example of geopolitical risk that's not likely to recede very soon. I think we're just going to have to live with it. Uh, and um, you know, this idea of you know these maps of this uh, the the Chinese. Um, near blockade, I guess, of, of Taiwan, you know, sparked memories of the Cold War and uh, Berlin in particular, 1948. So I hope we don't get to something like that, but, uh, but the tensions are high. And so from a macro perspective, I, I think we just can't discount uh, that risk. That, has, that risk is going to be there and has to be priced in. All right, I think that's a good place to end it. That was Jim Bullard, president of the St. Louis Fed. Thank you so much for your time and your insights, Jim. Thanks for having me. Great to talk.